Own Your Creativity, Episode 3. The, uh, the challenge is not to have just one type of creativity. You're listening to the Own Your Creativity podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Johnston. Hello, everybody. Today we have Pat Fluelling. She is an Oshawa, Ontario-based author of nonfiction, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. When not working full-time for a major telecom company and not working part-time as an editor and ghostwriter, Pat is an avid blogger and reader who also dabbles in painting and playing guitar. Pat's fifth book, Helix, Plague of Ghouls, is forthcoming in 2016. Welcome to the Own Your Creativity podcast, Pat. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. And, you know, we've got a little sense of who you are from your bio, but I'm going to turn the mic over to you and ask you to give us a little bit more information about who you are and uh, in your personal life when you're not doing all these many things and also <laughs> in your in your business and creative life. All right. Well, I can mention that um, I've just recently moved back to Oshawa. So when I'm not doing something that's that's paid or creative, I'm usually cleaning up the house, moving in, getting settled. I've got uh, one dog, one cat. They keep me active a lot, which also makes cleaning up quite entertaining. When they <laughs> cats love brooms, uh, I've discovered. Um, <laughs> But uh, otherwise, when I'm not doing that, when I actually have a moment to sit and relax, uh, usually playing video games. Oh, really? What kind of video games do you play? Oh, first-person shooters. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So every once in a while, you need to you know, let off a little steam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is there something that you miss from Montreal now that you are living in Oshawa? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, I used to work at a cafe in Montreal, uh, Mariposa Le Café. It was uh, in uh, NDG, and on pretty much every night that they were, they were open, and most of the mornings on the, on the weekends, they would have live music. And let me tell you, there's nothing like working in a kitchen when you have live music going in the background. It's It, it was like working in somebody else's kitchen and becoming a part of the family. I really, really miss that. Oh, that is so cool. I've been there, and I really like that place, too. It's a, it's a gem. It is, absolutely. Well, hopefully you'll find a new one there in Oshawa soon. Yep, I, I'm hoping something along those lines. <laughs> so what is your definition of creativity? You know, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, and I, I realized that for me, creativity is being able to account for your time, having something that you have done that's visible, that's countable there before you. So it could be something as simple as, uh, oh, look, you know what, today I spent an hour and I did this sketch. Or, you know, I, I did all this house cleaning and here's the before, here's the after. For me, that's also creative because my brain is working on other things at the same time. Or having a painting or having only two pages that I wrote today, but I can still see that I have those two pages in front of me. You know, it's it's just about having some evidence that I did something other than playing first-person shooter games <laughs> or watching TV, you know. So yeah. it, it, it's really about building something or creating something that, that wasn't there yesterday. Wow, I love that definition. I'd never really thought of it in terms of tangibility and accountability, 
But I think that that's all part of the process. So it's a, a really interesting way of looking at it. So can you give us an example of how creativity manifests itself in your life? You already mentioned, uh, you know, cleaning up and maybe playing with the cats with the broom and that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, any other kinds of ways that manifest in your life in, in small or big ways that really give you pleasure? There, there's a couple of different ways. Uh, the obvious one is the writing. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I love to write novels. I love to write short stories. So my after day job hours are are usually full of that kind of thing. Even if I'm not actually actively writing something, if I'm sitting in the doctor's office waiting for my appointment, my brain is still ticking away. I'm still thinking about, oh, what what did I do wrong? What is sticking out in that in the story? Oh, wait a second. I know this character should have said this instead. So after hours, creativity is always there. The challenge is during the day job, how can I keep myself inspired? Because if I'm not inspired at my day job, I hate my day job. So what I've had to do is find creative expression even at work. So when I'm doing communications, if I'm doing a mass email, I will make it as entertaining as possible. That keeps me going. If, I'm, if I need to build a new report, how can I make this flow as as properly as possible how can i say ta-da this report was brought to you by pat fluelling you know so i i think creativity kind of burbles out of me from the moment i wake up until the moment i finally fall asleep that is so fascinating because i think a lot of times people feel that they have a finite quantity of creativity and that if they squander it at their day job that there won't be anything left over at the end of the day but you seem to be the opposite of that well the uh, the challenge is not to have just one type of creativity i've heard a lot of times where professional writers during the daytime say uh, somebody who's in corporate communications they are so tired of words by the end of the day that they don't have anything left over to to do something creative and in their mind something creative is more writing well if you mix and match it for me building a database which is strictly numbers and coding that is also creative by the time i get home i have plenty of words left over or vice versa if i have to work on a lot of wordly type things then the best way to refresh my my batteries is to do something visual or audible you know, working on a painting or working on a new song. Wow, I love that. So you don't focus just on one thing, you focus on other things and that they kind of complement and, and support and help the creative process in general then. Yeah, uh, and not just doing the things that I've always been able to do, but looking for, actively looking for things that I've never tried before. Hmm, interesting. And why do you do that? You never know what you're good at until you try everything. I had no idea that I could I could paint until I sat down and started painting. And I was kind of horrible at it, but I kept at it. And I started looking at different, different uh, resources, different books, looking at other people's paintings and trying to learn from it. You know, creativity should not just be about output. It should be about input as well. Hmm, wow. That's a great soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'd like you to take us to a time when it, you felt really uncreative and that you had feelings that, that you could not be creative or um, that it just was missing your life and you felt some sort of negative effects of not being able to connect to your creativity. And so tell us that story. Uh, it's not just a one story. It's more like a recurring theme. Uh, I find this happens maybe every two to three years where I just, I can't 
produce anything. Um, well, I, I have to put can't, you can't see it because we're not on video here, but uh, the can't was in those air quotes because you really can't. The point that you, you struggle with is that you won't. Um, there, I'm trying to nail down a specific event. Um, thinking back a couple of years ago where I was absolutely fatigued. I was sick to death of trying to get published and getting nowhere. At this point, it'd be up to about um, 18, 19 years of trying to get published and getting nowhere. So I just said, you know what? Chuck it all. I am never going to write again. Oh, no. Which was crazy. And then I went, wait, no, that's insane. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, but I, I I, still couldn't do anything. You know, I, I knew that I needed to write. Uh, I would look at other friends and they were getting published. They were making progress. They were enjoying themselves. And I started to really get irritated. I was jealous, but I was angry jealous because these people always had the luck. Here I am 19 years later. I'm still not getting anywhere. Where's my luck? Where's my break? And then something along the way reminded me that I hadn't at least been keeping a journal. And as I started keeping a journal, I realized, wait, you know what? I feel better. And then I thought, well, if I feel better after just documenting my day, how much better would I feel if I just wrote a little character synopsis? What if I just wrote about a character and I felt better? And then I started going from there. And then I realized at that point, the reason why I was disconnected from my creativity was because it was no longer creative. It was work. I had been spending 19 years trying to get published when what I should have done was spending 19 years writing. Wow. Yeah. So at, at that point, when I realized I wasn't doing it for the joy of creativity, mm -hmm. that's when it, was, it wasn't creative anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important to do things for the joy of it, because, yes, we do want to have something at the end of it that other people can see and other people can, you know, comment on or buy or, you know, go watch or, or look at. Um, but I really think that that's kind of like a different hat that you're wearing at that point the, the you know you have to wear your creativity hat you have to wear your you know, sit down and do it hat yeah. <laughs> you know at the beginning um and and that you should love doing that that because if you don't love it then then why do it yep uh, this is actually one of the things that I've I've told um some other folks that I've, I've mentored before where you write for yourself and edit for others oh yeah yeah right for me I've actually taken it one step further I think about one person I want to tell the story to and then I just do it. And that's where I get the joy from it. Because then there's the anticipation of, I get to tell that person this story. And the other thing I noticed as you were talking is that you took things in sort of small steps, bite-sized lumps. You know, you didn't, you know, attack the, the whole elephant at once. You just thought, okay, I'm going to write in my journal. And that makes me feel happy. And that makes me feel good. And now I'm going to do the character description or, or whatnot. So it seemed like you were just taking those baby steps towards getting to that bigger output, which I think is so important for writers and for artists uh, in general to, to recognize is that it all starts with that one small step. It absolutely does, especially if you've been creative in the past. I think of it more like I've sprained my brain. <laughs> you know, something has happened. There's, there's been something, maybe it was a chronic condition that just got to a point where I, I couldn't do X anymore. But it, it's a, it was almost like rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. I've been able to run marathons with my brain. Wow. And then I sprained my brain. 
So as soon as you've done that, you can't just get back up and run the marathon anymore. You have to start doing your basic exercises and then go for walks and then go for a jog and then you can start training for your marathons mm-hmm. again. But you have to take that time. You have to treat yourself right. Rehabilitate, really rehabilitate yourself again. Yeah, and recharge your batteries too. Absolutely. And forgive yourself. Yes, yes. Forgive yourself for the, all those 19 years, right? <laughs> Exactly. You know, the funny thing that happened uh, as soon as I uh, I got past that that moment of, oh, wait, I haven't been writing for my own self. Yeah. The very next year I landed a contract. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. Wow. So is that your aha moment that you that you had in, in terms of how you were able to come out of that that dark place into a place of doing it for yourself? Was that your aha moment or was there another one where you realized? There's actually another one. I, like I said before, the, this whole dark thing, it, it comes up every two to three years and I have to relearn the same lessons. But just this year, actually, I had a similar aha moment where I had to apply the theme to a completely different world. And it was actually in my day job. I was in that point where I hated my day job because I was not being creative. I was not inspired. And then I I sat myself down like, you have a perfectly stable, good day job. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> you know, but I had to find out how can I live with this day job again? And at some point, I was chatting with a friend. And he wanted to uh, figure out a better way of putting this report together. It was a, a report that he has to put together once a month, and it takes about 16 hours or so to put together. It's like, there's got to be an easier way of doing this. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, oh, well, we could always do this and this, and we'll change it over to this other program instead of using that program. And then if we do that, ooh, you know what we could do? We could do this. Ooh, ooh, I have this other great idea. And then I started realizing, I'm excited. I'm enjoying my day job. This is what I've been missing. I wasn't creating something. I wasn't doing something that only I could do. I wasn't putting together something that people would be able to admire and use. More importantly, use. And that was the point when I realized I need to change what I'm looking for out of my day job. And then I realized, wait a second, I have agency here. I can actually make changes to my own career path to get myself back into a position where I can find projects like this find something that makes me go in the morning if I can wake up and get to work and do stuff before I realize I haven't had my coffee that's a good day and those are the days that I have to work for you said that you mentored people do you talk to them about their day job and and the importance of keeping a day job or do you recommend that they just run with it when they get a a contract or because you're still working in, in a day job and how do you negotiate those two worlds and what do you recommend to the people that you mentor and coach that's kind of funny actually uh when i'm mentoring i compartmentalize very very well because having gone 18 19 years without publishing and being called just a writer as opposed to an author you know people as soon as they they hear that I'm not published the next thing they want to know is about my day job if I'm going to a conference among writers I want to be talking about writing so when I'm mentoring that person now I don't care if they've never written a word or not they are now a writer what they do in their day job does not have any bearing on what we're doing so if it comes out in conversation, absolutely. I'll bring it up. We'll talk about it because that could be a stumbling block between them and their creativity. So they need to get that out of their system. They need to say, well, you know what? I've got this day job. I'm exhausted. Well, what's what's exhausting about your job? What can we do that's different? 
how can we change our attitude around the day job to make it more interesting? And so it's not quite so draining. Are you stuck in a job that you don't want to be in? And can you find a way to adjust your own career path and get into something that you enjoy? Are there projects in your current day job that you can take on that are both a benefit to the company and a benefit to you, you know. But usually when I'm mentoring, that's that's the last thing on my mind. I just want to treat you like an artist. I want to treat you like somebody who wants to get something out of themselves onto paper where they can see it in their own two hands. I, I thought one of the words that you used was really important was agency. And I, I think that a lot of times people don't believe that they're actually in control of their life. They think that they have to do things, they, they're they forced to do things, that it isn't their choice. And I think it's so important that people actually recognize that they do have a choice. And even if they're going to a job that they hate, this is a choice that they've made to do that and to continue seeing it as a job that they don't like or, or whatnot, you know. And I think that that when you, when you realize that, then you have the opportunity to change your perspective. Right. And the scary part is that you need to have courage to say, this is a problem that I cannot fix. I need to get out of the situation. Mm -hmm. Or this is a problem. I can fix it. Now I need to be courageous enough to make the changes that are required. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that took me a long time to learn as well. Well, you know, like Matisse says, creativity takes courage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really yeah. does. You mentioned that um, you landed a, a book contract the, the year after you decided that you were going to write for you and for the joy of it. Can you talk a little bit about that? That, um, that actually came shortly after I did a self-publishing book. Uh, my first book actually was Judge Not, mm -hmm. uh, which was a biography of uh, my client, uh, Jonathan Parker. Shortly after that, I did another self-publishing uh, work for um, historical nonfiction, The Fog of Dockside City. And somewhere between those two, I landed a contract for a book that I've been working on for about five years called Helix, Flight of Exiles. And that actually came through. Um, it wasn't your traditional I submitted and they accepted kind of thing. It's a little more complicated than that. But that was one of those moments where I actually decided this one has been rejected before. I'm going to stop mourning about it. I'm going to try it again. And luck came knocking at the same time. And there was the opportunity. I took the opportunity, worked my butt off to get the, the manuscript up to where the publisher wanted it to be. And now it's out there and out for sale. It's been out there since October of last year. And now the sequel is coming out this year. That is so cool. And that's your fifth book that's going to be coming out this year. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Yep. And it's going to be by the same publisher? Yeah, it certainly is. Taiki Books. Yep. I love the pieces. I absolutely do. And would you consider still self-publishing now that you've landed uh, a real publisher? Or, or is this the path that you're going to take from now on? It depends on the story itself. It depends on how much um, artistic liberty I want to retain. I mean, with, with publishers, they know what they're doing. You know, they they know what works in terms of artwork. They know what works in terms of editorial. But if I want to do something that is so outrageously unmarketable, but so important to me that I know it won't fit on a shelf, like it won't fit in horror, it won't fit in mystery. It's somewhere metaphysical, horror, science fiction, romance, whatever. If I want to do something completely off the wall, then yes, I will go back to self-publishing. After we're back to parody, 
right now it doesn't make any sense for me to use an American self-publishing house if the dollar is at 73 cents or 77 cents. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> there is that. That's that's a big stumbling block right now. <laughs> yeah, I may be an artist, but I'm also a capitalist. I know a losing venture when I see one. <laughs> so now we come to the uh, last segment of of the show called the Creative Surge segment. Yeah, and um, this is just you know really short answer type kind of questions. So are you ready? I am ready. I'm rocking and rolling here. Excellent. So what is the best advice you've ever received? It's not really a piece of advice so much it was a, a backhanded insult compliment. Uh, I had written a short story that I handed off to a professor at university, and she said something that was so profound it changed not only the way I look at writing, but the way I look at my own life. She says, you have a beautiful voice and nothing to say. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was profound because at that moment I realized, yes, I can write, but I have no life experience. So now my first rule of writing is first do something worth writing about. So I, I made a point now of sitting down and looking at other people, trying to find, find out what motivates them, looking at the world globally and figuring out how one world leader's words change the entire course of history. It can generate wars. Taking a look at how a mother interacts with their children and how that affects their lives going forward. Uh, it, it, it forces me to look at how other people need help and how they're berated instead of getting the help that they need. So it was really an impactful moment. And I know that she didn't mean it as an insult. And I don't think she meant it as career advice, but it was the best thing that I could possibly have heard at that time. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you for that. So share one of your personal habits that contributes to your creative success. I am the least habit habitual person in the world. <laughs> But there is one thing that I do that helps me keep on track. And it's simply just writing down all the stuff that I've done. So if I've finished a book, I write that down in a list of all the other books that I've ever done before. If I've done a short story or a poem or a two-act radio play, whatever, I've, I've kept a list of that since 1993. And every once in a while, I go back and I look at it and I go, wow, I did something. <laughs> I did a lot of something. That's a and, great idea. And every once in a while, I get greedy, and I just want to put more entries on there. And that gets me encouraged to do more short stories or more books or finish projects that I've, I've started and haven't finished. Wow, that is an excellent idea. Thank you for that one. Um, what person inspires you to be creative? There's actually a couple of people, and this is one of the rare times when I actually like Facebook. Um, there are a number of friends that I have on Facebook that do artistic uh, painting or photography or most recently carving, uh, like um, stamps. And they will post their results at the end of every day. They go through these monthly challenges where on day one, you do something that's black and white. You do something uh, on day two about a bench or something on the theme of out, whatever. And I look at that and I'm like, dude, that is so cool, you know, because it's something small that I can accomplish every single day. And it forces me to think outside of, outside of internal inspiration. Facebook is great for that. Absolutely. So what is your favorite work of art? And it can be anything, film, poem, song, sculpture, painting, I guess a video game too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am kind of a fan of Bethesda. Uh, they've got a few games out there, like Skyrim and uh, Fallout 4 and a few others. But um, 
I don't think I have a specific piece of work or specific song. My playlist is about 26 days long. Oh my goodness. And that's just my favorites. So I think it's more of a my favorite f- form of art, which is probably going to be live music because that is the most immediate, personal and honest form of art that I've ever I've ever encountered with writing there's always a, a the, the advantage of the backspace on movies same thing you know there's there's a whole team of people to make you look perfect but with live music there is nothing there is no filter between you and the audience and you have to do something that is extremely personal in an extremely public forum and some people could just fly with that and there are moments of magic that happen. So getting back to your original <laughs> question, <laughs> that's what I miss about Montreal. So a favorite quote that inspires you? Winston Churchill, when going through hell, keep going. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> my, my favorite all-time quote. <laughs> what a great way to end the show. Thank you so much, Pat. It's been great talking to you and all the best for your projects this year. Thank you very much. And I hope everything goes smashingly for not only you, but for the other people who need to get off their bums and do something creative this year. And thank you to you, dear listeners, for joining us today. Now, what do you think about the idea shared by Patricia Flewelling that the challenge is to not have just one type of creativity going on in your life? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, as well as any other comments, questions, or suggestions. So feel free to send me an email through my website, ownyourcreativity.com. The other thing I was curious about is if you like the band The Irish Rovers. Were you one of those people like me who grew up watching them on television? Well, I have one of their CDs to give away during the free writing challenge I'm hosting on Facebook. It's a fun and easy way to kickstart your creativity and everyone who completes all five days will be entered into the draw for a copy of the Drunken Sailor CD by the Irish Rovers. The deadline to sign up for the challenge is tomorrow though, March 16th at noon. And to register, just use the following link, bit.ly forward slash Celtic challenge, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash C-E-L-T-I-C C-H-A-L-L-E-N-G-E. In tomorrow's episode, I'll be talking to a good friend of mine, Bruce Langford. He's an anti-bullying advocate and mindfulness expert. One of the things I admire about Bruce is that he can be mindfully inspired by almost anything, (laughs) including his dog, Sadie. So, until next time, own your creativity. (music) 